Tuesday, January 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Fool.com, Mark Reith. Good to be here with you guys. <gasps> Good to be warm and inside. It feels like, like Canada out there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it is cold. We do not have the snow. We don't have nearly the snow that they have up in Boston and, and New York, but uh, we do have the cold. Yes, we do. They better be inside listening to the show. <laughs> no excuse. Um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average at this moment is down more than 2% this morning. And we're going to talk about the two biggest reasons why Caterpillar and Microsoft will also dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Caterpillar, Taylor. Uh, shares down more than 7% this morning. Fourth quarter profits down 25%. That was worse than expected. Their guidance was certainly not what anyone would call optimistic. And, uh, you know, this is, this is one of those businesses that, because of what Caterpillar does, because of how big it is, the word bellwether gets attached to it. And so I think that uh, whether you own Caterpillar or not, and I don't own Caterpillar, but this is one of those ones that I always pay attention to. And I guess my first question is, how bad was this quarter? Uh, well, bad enough to drop 25% uh, <laughs> on the bottom line. But uh, yeah, the second half of the year was a tough one for all commodities, the miners, the metals themselves. Oil and gas, obviously, has been the story since November. Um, silver and gold were doing all right until the middle of the year, and then it's just been a bloodbath in the commodity space. And because they sell the bulk of their equipment to miners and oil and gas producers, Caterpillar, um, its stock, I think, has been suffering more this year than it probably should have. But the results this quarter proved that maybe investors were right to sell ahead of this. Um, their sales just aren't there, and they're dragging other players down with it. So even if you don't own, don't own Cat, if you own Joy Global or Cummins or or Deer and Company, you're down big today too because they all kind of follow the same thread as as uh, Caterpillar with these. $100,000 machines that these companies are buying years and years in advance. And with the price of uh, oil and gas and these these metals down, no one's spending next year. Freeport McMoran just announced today that they're going to slash 2015 spending by $2 billion. And granted, Caterpillar is not going to get all of that $2 billion, but they're likely to get a piece of it. Um, so uh, this is probably going to be one of the first big miners to announce these cuts. But I expect a slew of them. And so Caterpillar is not going to look good for 2015 either. Roughly. What percentage of their business is tied to the oil industry? Because um, Doug Oberhelman, is that how you pronounce his last name? Doug Oberhelman, who's the CEO? I believe so. Um, yes. He was, the way he was talking this morning, and again, I don't know this business, sure sounded like he was blaming oil for a lot of this. Um, so, how much of their business is tied to, like, for anyone who's trying to put the pieces together mm-hmm. in this puzzle? Can you draw a direct line from, well, the price of oil is tanking, therefore it's it's going to hurt them? I don't have the exact percentages. I know mining is a, is bigger than oil and gas. Yeah, I always think of digging. Yeah. I just right. first and foremost, that's movers. What, yeah, that's what comes to mind. If you if you're looking at oil and gas, you're really not looking too much at Halliburton. Maybe in the oil sands where they are doing more mining and they're they're earth moving, but the drilling that you're doing in shale and conventional resources really doesn't involve cat too much. Um, you know, you're looking at Halliburton and Schlumberger, which did all right this quarter. Uh, they're still not too bullish on 2015. So I don't know if if Cat is right to say that that impacted them this quarter, but it certainly is 
got a, a little bit to do with their projections. But yeah, this is a mining company uh, for the most part. Uh, last question, and then we'll move on to the carnage at Microsoft. As you said, this is a business, they make big, heavy, expensive equipment. Mm-hmm. Businesses are looking 6 to 12 to 24 months out when they're making these types of purchases. With all of that in mind, I can't imagine that anyone can realistically look at today's drop and say, oh, this is a buying opportunity. Like To turn around a business like Caterpillar from a stock perspective, mm-hmm. it's... I'm not saying they can't bounce back from this, but it's going to take a little while, isn't it? Yeah, they're kind of proving that fact because they've been struggling <laughs> for a year or more. Um, and so, yeah, I look at oil and gas in 2015 as as a buying opportunity and oil and gas, but I don't necessarily tie CAT to that. And I, I'm not in the business, or and I never want to be of predicting metals prices, and that's far more influential hmm. to Caterpillar's future, in my mind, than what happens in the oil and gas sector. So, um while I do enjoy looking at their reports and seeing how they're doing, because like you mentioned, it's a bellwether, I'm, I'm probably never going to be a cat investor just because it is so closely tied to, to metals mining. And that's that's a nervous game for me to play. Well, we're definitely not going to have you uh, as a guest on our brand new metals forecasting podcast. <laughs> oh, that man, we're, can't wait. That we're launching Motley next Fool week. spreading <laughs> itself out. Uh, Mark, we talk around the holidays about retailers cutting prices to move product and, and get traffic. And uh, it's not just general retailers who do that. Microsoft was cutting prices in its Xbox and Windows businesses. And surprise, it had a little bit of an effect on the bottom line. <laughs> I might line. actually buy an Xbox now. And there you go. shares of Microsoft down around 10% today. Right. Tough day. All your dividends for the last few years just evaporated. Let yep. me ask you, I'll start with the exact same question. How bad was this quarter? Uh, it seems bad on the surface. So, like you said, Ooh, uh, on the surface, on the surface. Let's dive a little <laughs> deeper. Let's let's dig. Let's mine for a little okay. cat reference. There you go for uh, the good stuff. So, earnings dropped nine percent this quarter. Um, that was due for a couple of factors, like you said, prices dropped on a whole bunch of Microsoft's products. Uh, the Xbox One, for instance, the price dropped about a hundred dollars there. But on the flip side, that means Xbox One uh, actually outsold PlayStation Four, their biggest rival, during the holiday season, which is a good step in the right direction for the Xbox One. It's been trailing the product, er, Sony's product, for a long time now. This could be a, a nice little turnaround. Then again, you look at the sales of uh, software on new PCs. That dropped 13% this quarter. That's not a good thing. So when you buy a new PC, it comes with Windows. That's how Microsoft gets a, a good portion of its money. That dropped 13% this year. But again, it was up very, very high the uh, same quarter last year because Microsoft stopped supporting Windows XP. And so everybody who had Windows XP suddenly had to upgrade to Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows whatever. So you saw a slew of buying there. And suddenly this quarter just doesn't seem as great in comparison. So a 13% drop may not sound great. But it could have been a lot worse, and just seems worse with last year's quarter. The big, one of the things that I was really concerned about actually is their largest segment uh, is selling to commercial enterprises. You know, businesses use Windows. I don't know if you've heard that before. Uh, that <laughs> drop sales there dropped two percent. You hear two percent, you don't think that's too big a deal. But this is this accounts for like forty percent of Microsoft's revenue. I mean, this is a, a very important part of their business. Windows pays the bills, uh, and if there's any sort of decline there, you have to wonder what's going on. If you're a shareholder of Microsoft, I have to believe that to the extent that there is a silver lining to this quarter, it's the cloud computing. Mm. And the the cloud computing revenue growing triple-digit rate for the sixth straight quarter, Mm -hmm. 
it's a silver lining. How big a silver lining? Based on what you just said about windows, it makes me think that it's it's a nice small silver lining. But until they get a few more quarters of triple digit growth, right. it doesn't start to get super meaningful. That's uh, and that's a, a pretty good way of putting it. So Satya Nadella, the new uh, CEO over at, not new anymore, but the CEO over at Microsoft was the cloud guy for a long time there. He was the guy in charge of all the cloud. Uh, that Microsoft was trying to build. And Microsoft is still trying to build that out. They spent $1.5 billion on building out their cloud services just this last quarter. So you know that they still got a long way to go to get to, a, a let's say, an Amazon level of, uh, of cloud uh, usage by other bu- by businesses. Um, but absolutely, if, if you want to be a player in the modern market, you know, Microsoft is 40 years old, and it's been showing its age for a while now. But Nadella, to his credit, has come out and said, cloud first, mobile first, that's what Microsoft is going to be about, that's what we need to do to stay competitive, uh, and they are just making big moves in cloud right now. So, like you said, it's not, going to, it's not going to impact the bottom line like Windows is, but if they can keep on producing like they have, and why shouldn't they? Every business in the world, like 90% of the businesses in the world, use a Windows uh, uh, operating system, you start utilizing Windows cloud services with that as well. Uh, there's nice synergy there. I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. It's going to take a while for it to overcome, overlap uh, you know, uh, Microsoft Windows sales, but it could be a big part of uh, Microsoft's business in the next couple of years. You mentioned Satya Nadella. He's been CEO at Microsoft for yeah, about a year or so. Right. Uh, Oberhelman's been at Caterpillar longer than that. <laughs> and yet, when I was watching and reading the coverage of both of these companies. And these are two huge companies, um, obviously big Dow components. And, uh, and I don't want to pin it all on them. I mean, pretty much everything in the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down today. These are just the two biggest uh, stocks to drop. Uh, but part of the coverage today has to do with Nadella and Oberhelman and sort of their, for lack of a better word, their posture. They're they're just um, and it's uh, to be honest it's it's sort of negative. Um, there are people in the media taking a negative view, saying, "Look, they're either shifting blame or just sort of shrugging their shoulders or just saying, "Yeah, we made some mistakes. We'll get better." Um, I, I, I'm I'm not looking to pile on. Uh, I I just want to use that to sort of set up this question: How Im- how much do you pay attention to? Uh, the stance, the posture, the attitude of the CEO in a given earnings call. Because um, depending on how the quarter goes, Hmm. um, and let's be honest, a lot of CEOs, they just stay off the the quarterly conference call altogether. Smart. Um, um, But, uh, well, let's just start with that, and I'll start with you, Mark. How how much do you pay attention to uh, a CEO's attitude I'm, if a, if if a quarter goes badly, mm-hmm. um, and if a quarter goes really well, I don't want to I don't want to cop out by giving you a subjective answer. But to me, it is subjective. It depends on the company, and it depends on the CEO and how important that CEO is to that company. So, an Amazon without a Jeff Bezos, a Tesla without an Elon Musk, those are completely different companies. And those guys, uh, both of them, I, I've never been afraid to come out and say what they want to say. You know, Elon Musk's rocket just crashed off of that barge in the in the ocean that they were trying to do. He just shrugged that off uh, because he knows he's he's a, a tinker. He's an experimenter. He's trying new things, and he, so his attitude is that of a scientist. It's that of a guy who's just trying uh, different things, things that have never been done before. And so he's gonna, I mean, he's gonna come onto a call, and it's not gonna. He's gonna shrug off a lot of 
these numbers. I'm sure uh, you talk about Tesla and their Gigafactory and all the issues there, but at the end of the day, he's just there to build good cars and try to get to space, apparently. Uh, so, for a guy like that, uh, who's got a lot of confidence, got a lot of brains, I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about it. Uh, for a Nadella, you know, Microsoft is gonna is gonna keep on going on without with or without Nadella. You know, Microsoft is still still gonna be a huge part of everyday business, everyday life, um, no matter who's at the helm. So if his posture, if his stance right now is to shrug it off and say, next quarter will be better, or we're putting money in the bank so that a couple years from now we're gonna be back on top, that's that's great. But I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. I'm not too concerned about Microsoft at the end of the day. Yeah, maybe. Taylor, I'm a little too demanding um, <laughs> as a as an investor, but I, I, I think I always want the same thing, regardless of how the quarter goes. I want confidence from my CEO, and but I don't want it to border on sort of rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean? I want them to be, you know, like Mark was talking about Musk. I want a CEO who's just going to say no, you know, and and sort of face the challenges head on. Mm-hmm. And I, the only time I start to count it against the CEO, and therefore count it against whether or not I want to continue owning this stock, is when I feel like a CEO is being really defensive mm-hmm. about, or they're just they're not acknowledging the challenges their business faces. That's fair. Straight shooters are definitely what you want to see out of a CEO because they're the one person in the company that can tell you how it is and maybe not receive any internal backlash for the most part um, because they should know the business better than anybody else so they they have the most to say. Um, But you you look at a, a company like Caterpillar who's been struggling for many, many quarters in a row now. I guess I can understand if he wants to get a bit defensive because he's probably getting badgered with the same types of questions quarter in and quarter out. And that kind of goes back to the short-term mentality of a lot of these analysts that are they're so demanding uh, to some degree on these calls, asking questions that they just want to have an input for their model that they can then get <laughs> yeah. a price target and sell that to their clients, where some of these questions might not really make that much sense in the long in the long run. So, so, I mean, maybe he gets a little agitated, or not him in particular, but a, a CEO in his shoes that has had a, a company that's been struggling, not enough to, to cast it off as an investor, but maybe enough to start asking more and more questions. Um, as long as they're given straight answers, I'm okay with a little bit of a defensive posture. At least it shows that they still care a little bit. Another CEO I would put in that category that, that you mentioned, Mark, sort of the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, Sally Smith over at Buffalo Wild Wings, right, right. who's who's been at the helm for so long that you just you just get the sense that she's seen it all, yeah, and she's been there for the really good quarters, and she has weathered the bad quarters, and she's just almost perfectly unflappable. Yeah, and she's got a plan. It's clear that she has a plan. Right. I believe in her plan personally. I, I think she's done a great job with that business. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from Jake Miller in Pennsylvania. Cold out there, Jake Miller. Listener, uh, listener number seven for the inches of snow that fell and awarded me with a snow day. Well, <laughs> kudos. Um, Jake writes, after listening to the last few episodes, I realize that it seems as though there are a lot of companies out there, McDonald's, Mattel, and LeapFrog come to mind, that are reporting less than encouraging earnings and their stocks are taking a hit from that. I was wondering, what is the Motley Fool's view on shorting stocks? Um, and for those who don't know, shorting stocks is, uh, if you're shorting a stock, you're, it's the opposite of buying a stock. You are, <laughs> you are basically betting that it is going to go down. Um, 
I'll answer sort of for the company. We, as a company, we don't really have um, one Uber view of shorting stocks. Uh, we're always trying to educate investors, and shorting stocks is a risky strategy. And it's certainly not for everyone. Jeff Fisher, who runs Motley Fool Pro and Options, uh, has shorted stocks in um, in his services. Uh, David Gardner, co-founder of the Motley Fool, uh, with the very first real money portfolio that was started back in the 1990s, uh, then called the Fool Portfolio. David Gardner famously shorted Donald Trump stock because Donald Trump had a publicly traded company at the time. The ticker symbol was DJT. Of course. Because anytime you can have your ticker symbol be your own initials, <laughs> it's never a sign of hubris. Yep. Um, and so David shorted Trump stock and, and made money off of that. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, um, always short Trump. Oh, <laughs> you know, and end of show. Yeah, exactly. And we're done. Um, but Mark, I have, we were talking earlier. You've you've never shorted a stock before. I don't touch the stuff, quite frankly. Um, I, I do subscribe to the the foolish belief, I guess you could say, is that when you're buying stock in a company, you're becoming a part owner of a company. When you're shorting a stock, you're basically borrowing uh, those shares from either your broker or somebody else who uh, is working with your broker. Uh, and it, I would prefer to be a little, little more invested than that. That is also to say that there are some big downsides to shorting stock, not just the, the hypothetical one of if you short a stock and suddenly it goes up, it could technically go up to infinity. Exactly. <laughs> there, there could be no end to your losses at the end. That's hypothetical. There is obviously going to be a top there. But there are more practical ones. You have to use a margin account to short stocks. You need to pay interest on a margin account. You could be uh, pushed out of, of your short. Um, by somebody, if if you're shorting a stock and borrowing someone else's stock from your bro- or shares from your broker, they could just call you away and give those shares back to that original owner, and suddenly you're off the stock. I, it's there's too much. It's just too much complexity, too much risk. I'd much rather buy, hold, and have a, a, a vested interest in a company than than be shorting it. And by the way, when on occasion. When it's earnings season, we will see stocks oh, shoot up right. 25, 30%. And you can look at that and think, gosh, they must have had an amazing quarter. Well, part of it is an amazing quarter. Part of it is because there is a big short interest mm-hmm. betting against that stock. And you have the so called short squeeze, where right. short sellers are saying, I'm out, I'm covering my short, and that's pushing the stock higher. Right. Do you short anything, Taylor? I have a, a small position in the short S and P 500 ETF, so it's an inverse ETF. Um, vanilla, it's not. You're leveraged. betting against America. Yeah, wow. <laughs> For like two percent of my portfolio. Okay. Yeah. Commie. So hey, that's up like one point seven percent today. So As a all hedge. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I, I don't. I did that a, a little while ago. Um, just a small hedge. It's nothing much, and it's it's. Uh, I kind of look at it as I'm buying individual stocks because I think they're going to outperform. And so, by shorting a little bit of the whole market, I'm kind of taking away some of that risk. I'm taking away a little bit of upside too when the stock, when the whole stock market rises. But um, I don't, I'm not, I don't short individual stocks. Um, and one other thing, you have to pay a dividend. You have to pay the dividend if you short right. a stock. So you know, you're constantly paying out. And usually, people short stocks based on an upcoming catalyst that they think is going to take place, a one-time event or something like that. Um, and generally, in those cases. The average investor is a little less informed than the people that are shortering it the most, or 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 long it as well. So, the the information and the speed at which it travels to the average investor 
has kind of removed me from ever wanting to short anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned amateurs. We've certainly seen examples over the last couple of years of professionals oh, yeah. coming out and shorting Completely stocks like blown up. Green Mountain yeah. Coffee Roaster <laughs> yeah. and you know Netflix and just taking an absolute bath on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'll add to Jake is I've never shorted a stock before, but if I do ever short a stock, you can rest assured because the the word and I mentioned this to you earlier today, Mark. The word I think of with with shorting a stock is conviction. <laughs> right. I will have greater conviction about that position than anything I am long on mm-hmm. um, because I, I would need to be. Yeah, you better be sure. You, you got to be. You, you got to be, be more sure. confident about that short than anything you own. Mm-hmm. Very unlikely to hold a short position for the five to ten years that most of our time horizons are without right. a long position. So. You're constantly waiting for something to happen. Right. Uh, before we wrap up, let me mention Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Once again, it's our flagship service. Uh, I mentioned David Gardner uh, earlier. David and his brother Tom run Motley Fool Stock Advisor. It's our longest-running service, and you can get 75% off just by going to marketfoolery.fool.com. That's marketfoolery.fool.com. Check it out. Free 30-day trial. Tis the season to invest. Am I right, Mark? Right. It's it's cold out there. You don't want to go outside. Stay on your computer and read all of our great investment ideas. Exactly. All of them. All you of get them. to see all of them. All like of them. You do actually get to yes. see all of them. You oh, get the so new stock ideas. You get the best buy. 2003. All. They're all up there. All right. Taylor Ruckerman, Mark Reed, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.